welcome to Addicted to Murder. This is Courtney, licensed professional counselor with over a decade of experience. And this is Trisha, and I've participated in deal abation before, but I'm curious if you ever have. I have no idea what that is. Bleaching one's hair. I have bleached my hair so that I could then dye it a different color. So you never went blonde? I never went blonde because my hair is so dark Mm -hmm. naturally. Um, as it is, I had to like bleach my hair twice to make it red. Yeah. So, you know, I, I've dyed my hair black and it didn't look good. Mm-hmm. I just didn't have the skin tone. So I think it kind of goes both ways. I think it for does. some people. I have worn a blonde wig. Does that count? No, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's not good for your hair to bleach it anyways. It's not. Uh, I used to do the back and forth so much that. It, yeah, I'm surprised I have as much hair as I do at this point in my life. Anyways. All right. We are back with a uh, breakdown today. Um, but before we get into that breakdown, Courtney has a question. I do. Um, and I think that this one you might get a little bit of a kick out of, but we'll see. Okay. So, Trisha, my question for you is, on a scale of 1 to 10... How much of an overthinker are you? Mm. <laughs> what do you think <laughs> my answer will be? 26? <laughs> I was going to say definitely higher than the middle. At work, Courtney is constantly like, I don't want to say talking me off the ledge, but trying to put things in perspective <laughs> when I have, when I make a, take a small thing and turn it into a big problem. Um, so I also do that, you know, that's something I work on in therapy all the time is stop overthinking everything to death. And it's part, I have problems with obsessive thinking. I know this, Mm -hmm. I've been working on it, but it is a tough one. Um, I strive to be more like you, which I'm curious where you think you fall on that scale on a typical thing. I mean, I know everyone has like certain times in their life where it's more stressful than others, but Mm -hmm. like. In a normal time in your life, where do you fall? I'd say now in, mm-hmm. in my life, I'm probably like a four, maybe. Yeah. Um, I don't feel like I overthink too many things too much, but I definitely, you know, ask me 10 years ago and I would have been probably like a seven. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I strive to be a seven. Someday I'll get there. I think so. And, you know, I used to um, I used to not be able to handle all of my thoughts and emotions, so I drank a lot. Right. And that helped at the time. But then the next day, I would still have those same problems, but then also a hangover on top of it. Right. And then anxious about me drinking. <laughs> like, right. So, or am I going to say something weird because I'm hungover? Or did I say something weird because I was drunk? Right. Like, they both, they go both ways. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So. My overthinking was almost exclusively related to, like, social situations. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely when my social anxiety was a lot higher. Yeah. I overthought a lot of those, those types of interactions. And I know people who... Um, when they have that social anxiety, they do turn to drinking because it makes them feel more loose. Did you do that or did you just stay quietly anxious? I just stayed quietly anxious and avoided social situations. Yeah. Well, we all have things to work on 
And you talked about your social anxiety in what episode was that? It was one where we did a video. I think we just did a video about anxiety what and did social we? anxiety. Social anxiety? I can't mm-hmm. remember. We've done um, a few now. Yeah. But yeah, and you shared um, your social anxiety experience. I don't really have it so much. I do tend to notice that there are definitely social in, in uh, situations where I just get bored mm. and want to just bail. Um, but I don't necessarily feel anxious about it. I'm just like, I'm done with this. And so then people think I'm kind of like a B-I-T-C-H. But got it. So you are back in the the heyday of my social anxiety. Mm -hmm. I would have been too scared to just bail if I was bored because I'd be too worried about what everyone else was going to think about me if I bailed. Oh, gotcha. Mm -hmm. See, I I don't do it as much anymore, but I was kind of the queen of ghosting. Not ghosting like text message, but like leaving a party, the Irish Mm -hmm. goodbye. I don't know why they call (laughs) it that, the French exit, whatever. Mm -hmm. Like it was just too much to say goodbye to everyone, so I just sneak out and leave and people would notice like maybe an hour later mm-hmm. but my friends would get used to it and be like oh yeah she does that um but yeah it's just like a, a switch would flip and I'm like I gotta go now I can't handle this anymore and then leave so I don't I don't think that was social anxiety I think I just yeah I, I don't know, think so I don't know what that was but I know that people thought it was a little weird and rude <laughs> but I didn't care <laughs> so yeah good question um I yeah I would definitely like to be where you are with um the overthinking and I hope to get there someday I think you can I hope so I don't want to overthink it don't (laughs) (laughs) well uh segueing in or from that to our new topic today um so we're going to look more in depthly about a subject that has come up many times when we're talking about our killers and that would be narcissistic personality disorder you know, our episode about antisocial personality disorder seemed to be pretty well received and most people thought it was interesting. So we decided to make it, you know, kind of a regular thing. And so Courtney is definitely going to be the main um, contributor to this episode, peppered with a few of my questions, insights and interpretations that may or may not be correct. So I'm going to learn along with you. I haven't looked at the script for this week's episode. So um, yeah, Courtney, go ahead. Take it away. All right. So before we get into narcissistic personality disorder specifically, I want to just give kind of a brief review about what personalities are or personality disorders are. Um, I'm not going to go into all of the details about the different types and and things like that, um, just because we did that in the, the last one, the antisocial personality disorder episode. So if you really want to know more about like how personality disorders are thought of and stuff yeah uh, listen to that episode and then come back Um, but in general um, according to the dsm-5 a personality disorder is quote an enduring pattern of inner experience and behavior that deviates markedly from the expectations of an individual's culture is pervasive and unchanging causes distress or difficulty functioning and the onset can be traced to adolescence or early adulthood, end quote. And then in the DSM, these are divided into three groups. Cluster A, which are thought of as like the odd or bizarre personality disorders. Cluster B, which is the emotional and dramatic disorders. And cluster C, which are considered anxious disorders. Um, and so narcissistic personality disorder is a cluster B disorder. 
Can you give us real quick a cluster A example? Uh, so a cluster A would be um, like paranoid personality disorder. Okay. And a cluster C? Would be like um, avoidant personality disorder. Okay. Yeah. So also then, before we get into um, narcissism as a personality disorder, sorry, my script just jumped way down. Um, I do want to take a minute and discuss the difference between narcissism, the personality trait that all of us have in varying degrees, and NPD. So the word narcissism comes from the Greek myth about Narcissus. He was the man who fell in love with his own reflection in a pool of water and then ultimately drowned. So, um, you know, often the trait of narcissism is used to describe a person who is maybe vain, egotistical, and selfish. And all humans display this characteristic at different times and at different levels. But for the vast majority of people, this is just a normal thing and it doesn't cause any problems. For example, right, your hypothetical teenage cousin who posts a lot of selfies on Instagram may have some traits of narcissism, but they do not have NPD. Um, Trisha, can you think of anybody you know who might like fit into this category where you're like, yeah, they're, they're a little narcissist sometimes, but. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, in, in my past, when I used to be addicted to social media, which I'm not ashamed to admit that I was for a while, um, my own personal Instagram account, if I didn't get enough likes or something on a photo I posted, I would get really butthurt and like take it down or post something else. Um, and it became like a weird competition. Um, so that was to me, I felt kind of like I was displaying a narcissistic trait, like, look at me, notice me. I'm so cool. Blah, blah, blah. When really I'm not. That's actually a really good example. Thank you for being open and sharing that. Sure. Okay. So as we did with, um, antisocial personality disorder, I'm going to go over the two different ways of defining NPD based on the DSM-5. Um, so... The first part, which is the, the main one that most people use to diagnose and um, describe narcissistic personality disorder, is defined as being the following. So a pervasive pattern of grandiosity, either in fantasy or behavior, so they could just be imagining it or they could be acting it out. Um, a need for admiration and lack of empathy beginning by early adulthood and present in a variety of contexts, as indicated by five or more of the following. So to meet this criteria, you have to have at least five of these things that I'm about to say. So, has a grandiose self, a sense of self-importance. So, they're the most important person in the world. Mm -hmm. Is preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited success, power, brilliance, beauty, or ideal love. They believe that they are special and unique and can only be understood by or should associate with other special or high-status people. They require excessive admiration, have a sense of entitlement, is interpersonally exploitative, meaning... Do, oh, okay, go ahead. I was like, what's that mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so basically they, like, they use their friends to oh, benefit themselves, okay. Okay. right? Um, they lack empathy for others, so they don't understand or care much about other people's feelings. Um, they are often envious of others 
or always believe that others are envious of them. And they show arrogant, haughty behaviors or attitudes. So definitely the like stuck up, arrogant, mm-hmm. I'm better than you. Like the one-uppers? That would definitely be part of it. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Trisha, anything, questions about kind of what that person might look like? We'll get into more of a like, what's the real, yeah, what no, it looks like in the real world? Um, yeah, I mean, I can pick out certain behaviors that I feel we all have at some point in our lives. But yeah, having five of those constantly, I, yeah, that's a different thing. Right, exactly. Like, those are always present. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So the alternative model for personality disorders um, that's in sort of the to-be-continued-studied sort of section of the DSM-5, they break it down into, like, functioning personality versus, like, pathological personality traits. And so you have to have a certain combination of um, dysfunctionality in your life along with certain like negative characteristics in order to meet criteria kind of in this in this way of thinking about it Mm -hmm. so using this model um, narcissistic personality disorder is defined as having moderate or greater impairment in personality functioning um, which is manifested by characteristic difficulties in two of the following four areas so there's four areas of Um, personality impairment they look at. So the first is identity. So when we think about the identity of a narcissist um, in terms of how they see it, these are the things we'd be looking out for. So excessive reference to others for self-definition and self-esteem regulation. So how they feel about themselves depends on what others think about them. Mm Um, exaggerated self-appraisal, either inflated or deflated, or vacillating between the extremes. So they either think they are amazing or the worst, or they go back and forth between them. Um, And emotional regulation that mirrors self-esteem. So how the way they feel about themselves determines their emotions. Um, Then the second part of personality functioning they look at is self-direction. So in a narcissist, their goal setting would be based on gaining the approval of others as opposed to doing something that's important to them. Um, They have personal standards that are unreasonably high in order for them to see oneself as exceptional or too low based on a sense of entitlement. So either they have extremely high expectations of themselves because they need to be better than everyone or it doesn't matter how hard they try because they think they should just get the special treatment anyway. Um, And then often they're unaware of their own motivation. So they might not be aware that this is why they're doing things. Next we go into empathy. So The big one. (laughs) One of the big ones, definitely. So in someone with NPD, um, they would have an impaired ability to recognize or identify with the feelings and needs of others. They're excessively attuned to reactions of others, but only if perceived as relevant to themselves. So they don't really care about how you react to them unless it impacts them directly, kind of a thing. And they tend to over or underestimate um, their own effect on others. So they don't always see how like their behavior might be impacting you. Mm-hmm. 
Or care. Or care. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last part of personality functioning is intimacy. Um, so for someone with NPD, relationships are largely superficial and exist to serve self-esteem regulation. Um, they're mutually constrained by little genuine interest in others' experiences and a predominance of a need for personal gain. So essentially, any relationship, whether that's working, friendship, family, etc., um, is all about basically how does this relationship benefit me, whether it's making me feel better or whether it's um, helping me get something that I want. So any thoughts um, on those? No. Um, again, you can see, like, all of us have probably experienced a few of these things a time or two in our life, but not most of us, probably not all the time. Right. But there's some things that I can say, oh, I've done that before. I've done that before, but it's not something that's always happening. Right. It's not so bad that it's like impacting your ability to live Mm -hmm. your life in a meaningful way. Right. Yeah. So, um, in this formulation, right, the second one, you must have at least two of those, um, personality functioning deficits, and um, you must have the following two personality traits. Um, So the first one is grandiosity, which is a feeling of entitlement, either overt or covert. Um, So either like they say it or they don't. Mm -hmm. Um, Self-centeredness, firmly holding on to the belief that one is better than others, and condescension towards others. And... Um, the trait of attention-seeking. So excessive attempts to attract and be the focus of the attention of others and seeking admiration. Um, So only when you have both of those different things um, can you be diagnosed with NPD under this model. Okay. Um, And under both models, um, there are some specifiers that um, are sometimes given out. So... These can include kind of what we talked a little bit last week Mm -hmm. um, with uh, malignant um, narcissism. With Jack. When we talked about Jack Unterweger, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And so this is when traits like being manipulative and deceitful and callous are also present. Um, It might be labeled as malignant narcissism. It can be vulnerable narcissism also, which is kind of when depression and anxiety are present. So these are the ones that are kind of more likely to be more um, like susceptible to criticism. Mm-hmm. Um, Probably get super defensive. Right. Exactly. Well, um, what like what do you think? Uh, which killers that we've covered so far? There's probably a lot of them. Do you think suffered with NPDB? <laughs> not NPDB, not the National Practitioner Data Bank, but NPD. Yeah. So I think the the most well-known and prominent um, that we've covered are Ted Bundy, of course, um, Ed Kemper, and Dennis Rader. Um, but we've also talked about NPD that's you know, likely present with some of our lesser-known ones, like Jack Unterbaker um, from last week, um, Kenny Bianchi from the Hillside Stranglers, Kermit Gosnell, um, and Linda Hazard, just to name a few. Um, and also, you know, since narcissism is one of the three traits that's included in the kind of dark triad, along with Machiavellianism and psychopathy, 
it's not surprising that most serial killers likely score pretty highly on the trait of narcissism. The one that's sticking out to me, and this is Kermit Gosnell, because he wasn't necessarily a violent narcissist. I mean, yeah, that might not be the way to to frame it. He was a different kind of killer. He was, um, like, I feel like he definitely had narcissism as in the form of a God complex, uh, but he wasn't violently raping and murdering women Mm -hmm. to to do this so I don't know it it feels like a little bit of a different way that narcissism can go but still lead to being a murderer right I don't know if I'm explaining that right Mm -hmm. but yeah so I'm thinking back to some other to some other ones and for sure Ted Bundy because look at how he was so sure in himself that he represented himself in trial mm-hmm. you know like he thought that he could be a lawyer without having done the full training just by mm-hmm. reading some books in the prison library and stuff like that Ed Camper he was just a genius so like I don't know sometimes some of the narcissists it's almost like their <laughs> ego is is um they they earned it <laughs> in a weird way. I don't know if that makes sense, but how Ed Kemper's sticking out to me. How what do you think he displayed with the narcissism? Like how was his traits showing? Um, definitely there was um, this belief that he was like smarter than the police. But um, I kind of feel like he was. I mean, <laughs> he turned himself in. Right. I mean, like there's a difference, I suppose, between like. Knowing that you're very intelligent, Mm -hmm. but being humble about it. Sure. And, like, knowing that you're very intelligent and then, like, using it to manipulate others. That's true. And... He would go um, hang out with the cops at the bar and stuff like that. Right. Or genuinely believing that you are Mm -hmm. better than other people. You know, and he genuinely believed that he was, like, a better class of person than, like, the hitchhikers that he... That's true. ...picked up and killed. Okay. I mean, then you could kind of think that any... um, person who killed others because they thought that they were better than them and deserved to live and they didn't could be classified as a narcissist so not even like serial killers like just yes even like hitmen and stuff they would probably yeah score highly on like like a test politicians we will definitely get into that (laughs) all right well okay so i'll move on um so what causes NPDB and why do you keep saying that? What causes NPD and do you think that the people who who have it know they have it? So there's no clear like biological causes of narcissistic personality disorder in terms of like brain chemistry and that kind of thing. Um, but as with most mental health conditions, it is thought to be a combination of genetics and environment. You know, statistically, between one and five percent of people, um, meet criteria for NPD at some time in their lives. And of that 1% to 5%, 50 to 70% of them are men. Hmm. Um, so you are more likely to have NPD if you are male than female. Um, doesn't mean you can't if you're female, of course, and we've seen that. So some people just seem to be more susceptible to developing it. And children who have a parent with NPD have a 50% higher likelihood of also having it, which is similar to a lot of mental disorders. 
Now, a person whose parents were excessively critical, hard to please, and had exacting and unrealistic expectations are at a higher risk for NPD. But also a person who had parents who overly praised their skills, commented on their specialness, or taught them that they deserved to or were entitled to special treatment um, from others is also more likely to develop NPD. So kind of like the two extremes. Sure. You're a prince or a princess and you deserve everything and you're the best Mm -hmm. or you can't do anything right. I'm holding you to these really high expectations and I criticize you because I want you to be better. So it's almost like the parent needs to run that middle course if possible. Right. Which may or not may not be something they can do depending on what's going on in their own head. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So, um, one of the big problems in working with or trying to help somebody with NPD is that they do have a lack of insight into their own beliefs and behaviors. These people genuinely believe that they are better and more deserving than others. And that kind of hidden, fragile ego in reaction to criticism just does not really allow them to admit that they are wrong or made a mistake or like something's wrong with them. So likely they would not recognize it this in themselves and they would struggle to accept being given a diagnosis by a professional as well. Um, you know, there there's some limited evidence that if you can get someone with NPD into therapy, that empathy training and some cognitive behavioral therapy can help a narcissist learn to get along better with others and to maybe challenge some of their beliefs. But very few people with NPD seek treatment, and of those who do, 40% drop out. So to get these people in therapy in the first place, most of the time they're not seeking treatment on their own because they feel like they're not functioning in the world, correct? Right. Typically it would be because a family member or a partner or, you know, somebody has really pushed them. Or the police. Or the police, yeah. It could be a mandatory thing. So this person goes around just thinking that they are very special and that everyone else, um, besides maybe a few people that they admire or aspire to or whatever, um, that everyone else is like literally below them in in mental ability, physical attributes, whatever. That's kind of how they go around thinking. And therefore, they don't feel that they have the problem because they are superior and that... Mm-hmm. And that the, their reality, their view of reality is not skewed. It is just how it is. They are just better. Right, right. Okay. And then throw in that lack of empathy, mm-hmm. right? So they would see, you know, say a partner comes to them and is like, hey, this behavior really hurts my feelings. It, it would kind of be like, well, that's a you problem. Mm-hmm. And at the core, though, is like underneath all of these layers of self-importance, is a fragile, wounded ego that really has low self-esteem and is a sad person? Not necessarily always a sad person, Mm -hmm. um, but definitely this very, like, fragile, wounded, yeah, ego that needs 
all of this admiration and needs to believe that they, you know, are superior in this grandiosity in order to be okay. Do you go into it later why NPD, NPD develops in a person? Not so much. Okay, so can we talk about that a little bit here? Like, f- most of the serial killers we've studied have had abusive childhoods. And I feel like most of the people that um, have personality disorders in general suffered some sort of abuse or neglect as children. Is this accurate with people who do develop this disorder on a, on a, um, like a typically scale? (laughs) I'd say it can definitely be a a big contributing factor. Um, like we said, kind of looking at the ways of parenting. Hold on. My dog is, can't make his mind up of if he wants to come in or not. So when we look back at the, the different parenting styles, right, a lot of the serial killers we've looked with that have, or we believe have, NPD, mm-hmm. we look at uh, them having a very sort of controlling, domineering, mm-hmm. highly critical sort of parenting, um, whether that's mother or father or both. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that sense, you know, a lot of that, and also if we add like physical abuse, sexual abuse, any type of abuse on there, that is also about like power and control. And so... In a large way, people with NPD are also craving and seeking power and control. So I would say there's probably a a pretty good link there. And you've talked about how reactive attachment disorder um, leads to conduct disorder, which leads to ASPD. Is there any of, um, do, do any of those precursors also lead to narcissistic personality disorder? Is it typical to have either of those things before that develops? Or is it completely different? I would say they're not mutually exclusive for sure. Um, I think with with the conduct disorder and the antisocial personality disorder piece, there is that sort of psychopathy Mm -hmm. trait in there that doesn't necessarily have to be present with NPD. Mm -hmm. Um, And so reactive attachment disorder, I think, is the like general precursor for a lot of personality disorders. Okay. Um, not always, right? Mm-hmm. Not everyone who has a personality disorder also had reactive attachment. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are strong links between, say, like reactive attachment disorder and borderline personality disorder, for example. Um, so, and, and reactive attachment starts at a very young age. Yes. So we can kind of see, like in my mind, I'm seeing a little bit of a spider web. It starts with reactive attachment and then that child could go many directions. Some might lead to conduct disorder. Some might lead to, you know, some other path that leads to borderline, leads to narcissism. And some kids might just go by unscathed and grow out of it and then go on to be completely functioning. Right, right. And I think I'd like to, I guess, delineate a little. So reactive attachment disorder is actually very rare. Okay. Um, it doesn't happen a lot. But attachment wounds uh-huh. and, you know, strained attachment is far more common. Okay. Um, so it's more of the attachment wound that we're looking at mm-hmm. as the precursor to okay. these things. Okay. Well, are there any other like typical mental health conditions that are comorbid with NPD? Yes. Um, these like to work together with a lot of different things. So 
because of that need for adoration of others and, you know, being very sensitive to criticism, things like depressive disorders, if they get a lot of criticism or are not receiving the, you know, adoration and admiration that they think they deserve, um, can take hold eating disorders, um, particularly things like um, anorexia, um, if they're seeking you know, perfection and attention and all of those things, they might seek to have like a perfect body as well, um, which can lead to some disordered eating. And then substance use disorders are kind of the most common non-personality related conditions that go with NPD. Um, But something interesting with NPD is that it also has a strong comorbid link to other cluster B personality disorders including borderline, antisocial, and histrionic personality disorders. So this can make sorting out what's going on and, you know, causing certain behaviors so confusing at times. And we've seen several of our subjects who have been diagnosed with more than one personality disorder. Typically, it's narcissistic and antisocial together. And I've tried to, like... um in my mind group how antisocial could go along with sub with like especially with borderline because to me those seem like the two opposites like borderline is all about emotion and uh, ASPD is lack of emotion but I think I'm simplifying it too much and with NPD and ASPD they seem they seem almost very parallel to each other but I feel like NPD doesn't have as much of a lack of empathy or emotion as ASPD does? I think, yes, because I think that with antisocial personality disorder, the person with that disorder doesn't genuinely sort of have real emotion, Mm -hmm. Um, whereas the person with NPD might not have empathy for others, but they feel their own emotions. But they they have, yeah, so things can still hurt them. Can they feel love? I think they can, but it's it's not the same way mm-hmm. that the rest of us feel love because a big part of, I think, genuine love is having empathy for the other person. Mm-hmm. So I guess maybe thinking of it more as admiration and need sort of mixed together. And, and part of their need is needing someone to... Adore and love them. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, so now we know how this looks in serial killers, but what does it look like in people who are not psychopathic killers? So I read this article on Medical News Today that I think did a really good job of spelling out what narcissistic behaviors look like in different settings. Um, So we're going to look at three different settings. We're going to look at um, at the workplace, in your family, and then in, like, a romantic relationship. Okay. So we will start with at work. Um, so at work, you might have a narcissist there if you know someone who routinely lies or exaggerates on, like, resumes or interviews. They often seek admiration by bragging or exaggerating their achievements. They deliberately take credit for someone else's work if it'll make them look better. They might spread rumors about someone um, that a person perceives as a rival in order to get ahead. 
They might befriend coworkers specifically to get something, such as unpaid help with a project or other skills. And then if you have an employer or a manager that you work with, uh, with narcissistic tendencies, they might have all of those things. And you might see them do things like exaggerate the business's profits or success. They might see themselves as a visionary or destined for greatness. And they may unethically cut corners, exploit people, or break the law to achieve their goals. They probably wouldn't have trouble firing people either. Not at all. Yeah. Okay. Yes, I have. I, I feel like I believe I've worked with somebody like this um maybe more than once have you yeah I think I have and it's really hard to work under somebody right I imagine that people that that have those types of managers have high turnover in their department I would imagine probably yeah because I feel like that's a fair amount of bullying that would be occurring and I've read in certain places that that's one of the main reasons people quit their jobs is being bullied at the workplace and then not feeling support to have it be taken care of. So for whatever reason. Um, so yeah. Anyways, yeah, that that's that would suck to glad I don't have that right now. <laughs> Same <laughs> at work because it'd be really tough to oh uh, yeah, I think get our, your needs met if you're mm-hmm. having to deal with that. I think our boss is like the opposite of a narcissist. Oh yeah, sure. For <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, what type of like jobs um are they drawn to, narcissists? Generally, the ones that you would think that they are, um, but according to a study completed by Cornell University, there are kind of six career fields that are most likely to attract narcissists. Um, so the first one is academia. So professors, deans, being the intellectual elite, so mm-hmm. to speak. Um, so you might think, uh, you know, like Jerry Sandusky from Penn State um, back in the day or... I mean, Jack Unterweger definitely Mm -hmm. wanted to be part of that group. Um, They're drawn to corporate management. Surprise, surprise. Mm -hmm. So think Elon Musk, Bernie Madoff, that type. They are drawn to entertainment. So think, you know, Harvey Weinstein, Mm -hmm. the Kardashians, etc. They're drawn to medicine. Um, So... Gosnell for sure Mm -hmm. a lot of you know narcissists are drawn to the top spots in medicine or the the most prestigious so surgeons neurosurgeons someone we may cover is Dr. Dunch Mm -hmm. so if you guys haven't watched that um oh what was it called it has Joshua Jackson in it and Alec Baldwin and Christian Slater it was really good I think it's Dr. Death Dr. Death yes Oh my gosh, the way that Joshua Jackson portrays him is like he is such one like one of those surgical like I am better mm-hmm. than everyone. I am God. Yep. Narcissists for exactly. sure. Exactly. Um politics. So mm-hmm. surprise surprise, you know, I think a certain former president whose name starts with a T comes to mind. Um but probably, also everyone yeah, else. Yeah, I like probably several <laughs> like presidents. Probably most <laughs> yeah. most politicians yeah. have at least high ranking sure. narcissism. Um, and then, you know, professional sports. So think Tiger Woods, Alex Rodriguez, um, those types of, of players. Um, so I do want to be clear um, that, to my knowledge, none of these public figures have 
actually been diagnosed with NPD, um, but they've all been described by others as having narcissistic traits. Okay. That is clear. Yes. Okay. Well, what other types of interactions with narcissists, um, like, can you think of? So back to our our list from the medical news. Um, So we'll talk about family next. When it comes to family members, you would want to watch out for people who demand that their relatives are obedient and cater to their needs at all times. Ignore their children's feelings and push them to achieve the parents' own goals, such as forcing them into a particular career. They would make gaining their love a competition by pitting family members against one another or by choosing a, quote, favorite child in order to make the others jealous. They might feel threatened when their children gain independence, which may cause them to undermine their confidence and keep them close. And they might use guilt, shame, threats, or violence to get family members to do what they want. So when we're talking about narcissism and family, technically, okay, I don't want to say technically, a child wouldn't be considered a narcissist because they're just, they're not old enough yet to have that diagnosis. So you don't usually see narcissistic traits in like, say a 12 year old because they haven't developed them yet. Because you're talking mostly here about adults when you're talking about these family members. Right, right. So children can display narcissistic traits, but they cannot be diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder. Okay. So, you know, for more information specifically about dealing with narcissistic parents, uh, I encourage everyone to check out our video spotlight on the topic um, that's posted on all of our social media. We go much more in depth into um, how to see that and what how to, to do deal about with it. it. Yeah, because that's a really tough place to have a parent that like that. Right. Yeah, that separation when kind of you become an adult mm-hmm. can be really challenging. Yeah. yeah. All right. So now we'll talk about what happens when it comes to romantic relationships with a person um, with narcissistic personality. So in a romantic relationship, um, Someone with NPD might inflate their own accomplishments to gain praise, such as by exaggerating the effort that they put into a romantic gesture. They might use their relationship to make others jealous via public displays of affection or by sharing photos on social media. They may try to get more than what is fair, such as by taking advantage of their partner's willingness to like do all the chores kind of a thing. They might use their partner to gain status or admiration or wealth. They might treat their partner like a servant or an object, only existing to serve their needs. They cross boundaries with little remorse, such as having extramarital affairs or spending savings without asking or other things like that. They will often lie to cover up their behavior thus allowing them to continue doing what they want without consequences. They may tell their partner that they are lucky to be with them so that they are easier to manipulate the whole, like, you're lucky that I'm with you, no other man would ever want to be with you, that kind of thing. Um, They use a lot of gaslighting 
So gaslighting their partner. So any criticisms of the behavior that the narcissist is doing seems less believable. And they may threat to leave the relationship, harm themselves, or harm others in order to get their way. So a big buzzword right now is gaslighting. Um, And I think that people use it, they misuse the word a lot of the time. Can Mm -hmm. you kind of go in a little bit and describe what actual gaslighting is? Yes. So gaslighting is when a person basically tries to make you believe that what you know or remember isn't true. So they may tell you something didn't happen or it didn't happen the way that you say it happened. And essentially, the goal is to sort of try and convince you that you're crazy Mm -hmm. for even thinking that this thing could have happened so that, you know, the other person can get away with having done that thing. Or, on the other end, convince you that something, a conversation that you never had, you did have. Right. So, no, remember, yes. I told you that. Remember? And you said it was okay. You have such a bad memory. No, You know, stuff like that. Exactly. Which I swear has happened to me before <laughs> because I don't have a good memory. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So, it's a harmful thing. And so... Um, it makes you, a person, doubt mm-hmm, Their doubt own themselves. reality. Yeah, doubt their memory, doubt their feelings, doubt, yeah, doubt their reality. Okay, thank you for clarifying that. Yeah, and so a lot of those, kind of the second half of that list, I would say pretty clearly um, are abusive behaviors. And narcissistic abuse is something actually that's often described separately from other forms of intimate partner violence because it is so pervasive and damaging to the victims. You know, narcissism is a predictor for increased aggression and violence, but really it's the emotional manipulation and abuse that can occur in a relationship with someone with NPD that's the hardest to cope with. Because at the end of it, you come out feeling lost and like you're, you're nothing. Well, and which end is up? Right, your, exactly. Your reality has been so distorted and questioned for so long by someone that you love that you're not even sure who you are anymore. Exactly, exactly. And so, you know, it can take years of therapy and support to recover from a relationship um, where, you know, a narcissist is present. That being said, it is possible to recover from the impact of having a person with NPD in your life. So in addition to engaging with a therapist who, you know, may use cognitive behavioral therapy, expressive arts therapy, EMDR, or, you know, other supportive forms of therapy, there are some things that you can do to help yourself cope as well. Um, And so here are just a few of them. So first, label the abuse. Call that out for what it is. Um... Set clear and defined boundaries with the, with the person and everyone else in your life, mm-hmm. and then hold them. Avoid retaliation or further engagement with the abuser. That's probably the toughest. It is, um, especially when it comes to things like a contentious divorce, custody mm-hmm. battles over children, things like that, because the narcissist is going to try and engage you. Mm-hmm. 
and they want you to react. They want you to react angrily. They want you to try to retaliate because then they can twist that to show how good of a person they are and come out on top. Well, it's like the narcissist um, feeds off of that. Yes. It, it makes, it fills them up mm-hmm. to eat out your insides and your soul. It fills them up, make them bigger. They're like psychic vampires. Right, exactly. So the best thing you can do is cut off contact if you can. And if you can't, make sure that all interactions are completely just neutral, no mm-hmm. emotion, facts only, that kind of thing. And so once you are out of a relationship, of course, immediately seek support. Reconnect with support people. You cannot recover from a relationship with a narcissist by yourself. And that's sort of the whole thing. Mm, okay. Yeah. And then just some basic things. Create a new schedule and routines that center around you. Express your emotions. You know, you can anticipate there's going to be some grief about this whole process. And, you know, take that time to implement self-care and take care of yourself instead of taking care of the narcissist like you've probably been doing for a long time. Um, I think taking time before you start a new relationship to make sure that you're healed or at least in a good place before you jump into a relationship with someone else. And lastly, the most important thing is to forgive yourself, right? These things that this narcissist did to you are not your fault. And so finding a place to not blame yourself for what happened in that relationship is really important. I follow a couple of narcissists, self-aware narcissists on Instagram, and um, they have partners and they seem to have functioning relationships. However, they both do a lot of work. One's a male, one's a female. Mm -hmm. And they talk. It's very interesting to listen to when they talk about how they perceive situations, how they react to situations, how they, you know, manage to stay with their partners. Um, So. I don't want to go and think that all narcissists are bad. They're not. No. Not all narcissists narcissists are malignant narcissists. Gotcha. So I would think that um, you could have a relationship with a narcissist if they were willing to work on certain things about themselves, which, I mean, we could all benefit from working on certain things about themselves. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I would agree with that. Okay. I I do find it fascinating um, when I can actually hear from the, you know. The other side. The the self-aware, which there aren't a whole lot of those, right? You're going to hear from most therapists that they don't treat very many narcissists. At least not narcissists that realize they're narcissists. Or want to work on their narcissism. Right. So it's kind of interesting to hear that. So anyways... Well, so that sounds like a pretty good place to end this because I feel like you've summed up this pretty well. I learned a lot. That's good. I'm um, glad. I learned a lot actually doing like the research for, for this as well. Yeah, it's like, you know, there's there's probably the instance of narcissists might be higher than the 1% to 5% just because I don't know how they sample that population. Sure. But luckily of those, mm-hmm. a small amount turn into serial killers yes a very very small Mm -hmm. amount so 
you know, unfortunately personality disorders pop up all over the place and they Mm -hmm. do make people hard to deal with all kinds of personality disorders, not just Mm -hmm. NPD. They're all, they all have their tough areas. Uh, but as long as you can, if you can spot it and protect yourself, yes, put up boundaries, put up barriers. Um, I think that, you know, you can go on living. Absolutely. We have all probably encountered more narcissists than we know. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure people are thinking of people that they know in their life okay. while listening to this. I mean, like, um, oh. Or even like themselves. Like, oh, I see myself like this. I see myself like that. Doesn't it? I mean, maybe not the whole NPD package, but like mm-hmm. the traits, because we do all have that. We are humans. I mean, we right. have we're selfish. It's just, we have to be to survive. I mean, our needs come first. Right. And they <laughs> so, should most of yeah, the time. Exactly. You're supposed to love yourself. Now, some of us struggle doing that, but that's, mm-hmm. you know, a whole healthy person would love themselves. Um, well, thank you, Courtney, for all that work. This was a long episode. It was, but it was fun. I like being able yeah. to, to share my knowledge about things. And um, our next case, which it might be not next week, the week after I have some stuff I got to do next weekend. I won't be in town, but our next case is I, she was, she was diagnosed, diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder. And the hint, she's not a serial killer. Uh, she might have gone on to be, but she was stopped before that happened. The hint, um, was that she was a patient at a hospital that I worked at. Dun, dun, dun. Mm -hmm. Anyone that lives around here will probably immediately know who that is, but not necessarily. That's true. There were less people that knew of this case than I thought would be, but most people who live around here know this case. It's a pretty famous case. But until then, Courtney, what do we do if a person thinks they are perfect in every way and tries to manipulate and gaslight us? Go nuts. Go home and go to therapy. That's right. Okay, everyone, stay safe, and we'll see you on another Tuesday. All right. Bye. Bye.